listen to the best wrestling podcast in the world. Journey into Wrestling every other Wednesday on the Journey into Comics Network. The following, the following is a journey into comics. 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 Network. 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 Production. Production. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back. This is episode 15 of Poor360, the show that covers topics of importance and gives my two cents and gives us a more un- general understanding of what is going on. Now, if you've tuned in the past few episodes, you know we were kind of going through a pet series, which was kind of sharing some personal stories and some experiences about pet keeping, the different pets that people have keep, the domesticated cats we've had. So that was a nice little uh, venture there. And now we're kind of back into what the show is about. I know a lot of you are tuning in expecting me to talk about probably the biggest news to drop, which was on Friday, and that was the release of the redacted Mueller report. Now, you're not going to get that talk today, unfortunately. It came out, it's Easter week, and I have not had time to read it, and I'm not going to report without reading it, despite I feel like a lot of people on the internet have done that. I plan to read it. It might happen this week, so I'm hoping to be able to talk about it next week if I have a chance, but it is a 400-page redacted document that has a lot of information that's going to take quite a few hours to go through and make notes to have something to talk about, but from what I've seen reported, it sounds like it's pretty interesting. Um, yes, it seems like there's still some gray areas in terms of it's not as cut and dry as people would hope it is. But you know, there's a lot of points and decisions made that may lead to some more things happening. And I know they're already talking about subpoenaing Mueller about this, just kind of see what happens there and Barr and all of that. So we'll definitely have to stay tuned to that in the next week because, like I said, it dropped before holiday weekend hoping it would kind of fly under the radar and it didn't. So we'll have to see kind of what shakes out there. But another big event that happened on a kind of a global scale was... Unfortunately, the fire at the the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Now, that's kind of what we're going to talk about today. Um, obviously, it's not really U.S. related, but it is. It was a global structure. A lot of people know it from either from the Disney film or from the novel. But yeah, so this this episode is going to be about the the Notre Dame Cathedral in Paris. Now, before I kind of get into some of the news that happened as a result of the fire and the kind of the devastation that happened there, we're going to kind of go through the Wikipedia article to kind of, so you kind of know more about the Notre Dame Cathedral, because I learned some stuff as I was kind of preparing for this, so I kind of want to read through some of the stuff. It might be a longer episode, but I think there's a lot of good information here that's worth knowing, and then there's some articles and stuff that I want to go through after that. So, thanks for listening, guys, and let's kind of jump right in. So, the Notre Dame de Paris... Um, means Our Lady of Paris uh, in French. Often referred to as simply as Notre Dame or Notre Dame, depending on how you want to pronounce it. It's a medieval Catholic cathedral in on the Lille de la Cite in the 4th arrondissement of Paris. The cathedral is consecrated to the Virgin Mary and considered to be one of the finest examples of French Gothic architecture. Its innovative use of the rib vault and flying buttress is enormous and 
Its enormous and colorful rose windows and the naturalism and abundance of its sculptural decorations set it apart from the earlier Romanesque style. Cecil's cousin was begun in 1160 under Bishop Maurice de Sully and the largest, largely complete by 1260, so about a hundred years of construction. Though it was modified frequently in the following centuries, in the 1790s, Notre Dame suffered desecration during the French Revolution. Much of its religious imagery was damaged or destroyed. In the 19th century, the cathedral was the site of the coronation of Napoleon I, the baptism of Henry, Count of Chambard, and the fears of several presidents of the Third French Republic. Popular interest in the cathedral blossomed soon after the publication in 1831 of Victor Hugo's novel Notre Dame de Paris, better known in English as The Hunchback of Notre Dame. This led to a major restoration project between 1844 and 1864, supervised by Eugene Viol-le-Duc. The liberation of Paris was celebrated within Notre Dame in 1944 with the singing of the Magnificat. Beginning in 1963, the cathedral's facade was cleaned of centuries of soot and grime. Another cleaning and restoration project was carried out between 1991 and 2000. The cathedral is one of the most widely recognized symbols of the city of Paris and the French nation. As, cathedral, as the cathedral of the Archdiocese of Paris, Notre Dame contains the cathedra of the Archbishop of Paris. Now you're probably wondering what a cathedra is. Now, not to be confused with the cathedral, a cathedra is Latin for chair, or bishop's throne, is the seat of the bishop. So, in the Catholic Church, it's symbol of the bishop's teaching authority in the Catholic Church, the Orthodox Church, and the Anglican Community Churches. So, yeah. So that's where... So the Archdiocese, that's where he does his services. So, in 1805, Notre Dame was given the honorary statue of Minor Basilica. Approximately 12 million people visit Notre Dame annually, making it the most visited monument in Paris. While undergoing renovation and restoration, the roof of Notre Dame caught fire on the evening of April 15th, 2019. Bringing around 15 hours, the cathedral was sustained serious damage, including the destruction of the fleche, the timber spire over the crossing. In most of the lead-covered wooden roofs above the stone vaulted ceiling. So, kind of here's just that was kind of the brief rundown. Obviously, a Wikipedia article. You ever look at it? Has that little chunk at the beginning, and then it gives you into the the big details. So, we're gonna run through all of that. Hopefully, it doesn't take too long. But I think it's important to kind of know the history before we can really move forward. So, it is believed that before the period of Christianity in France, a Gallo-Roman temple dedicated to Jupiter stood on the site of Notre Dame. Evidence for this is the Pillar of Boatmen, discovered in 1710. The building was replaced with an early Christian basilica. It is unknown whether this church, dedicated to St. Stephen, was constructed in the late 4th century and remodeled later, or if it was built in the 7th century from an older church, possibly the Cathedral of Childbert uh, the first. The basilica later Cathedral of St. Entienne was situated about 40 meters west of Notre Dame's location. It was wider and lower and roughly half its size. For its time, it was very large, 70 meters long, and separated to nave and four aisles by marble columns, then decorated with mosaics. Four churches succeeded the Roman temple before Notre Dame. The first was the 4th century Basilica of St. Etienne, then the Merovinan renovation of that church, which was in turn remodeled in 857 under the Carolinigans into a cathedral. The last church before the cathedral of Notre Dame was a Roman-esque remodeling of the prior structure that, although enlarged and remodeled, was bound to be unfit for the growing population of Paris. A baptistry, the Church of John the Baptist, built before 452, was located on the north side of the Church of St. Etienne until the work of Jacques Germain Soufflot in the 18th century. 
1162, the Bishop of Paris, Maurice de Sully, decided to build a new and much larger church. He summarily demolished the Romanesque cathedral and chose to recycle its materials. Sully decided the new church should be built in the Gothic style. Two other Gothic cathedrals were already under construction at Sens and Senlis, and the Basilica of St. Denis had been redone in the new style. So, the construction. The chronicler John de St. Victor recorded in the Memorial Historium that the construction of Notre Dame began between March 24th and April 25th, 1163, with laying of the cornerstone in the presence of King Louis VII and Pope Alexander III. Four-phase construction took place under Bishop Maurice de Sully and Eudes de Sully, uh, not related to Maurice, according to masters whose names have been lost. The first phase began with construction of the choir and its two ambulatories. According to Robert of Torgini, the choir was completed in 1177 and the high altar consecrated on 19th of May, 1182, by Cardinal Henry de Chateau Marquet, the papal legate in Paris, and Maurice de Sully. The second phase, from 1182 to 1190, concerned the construction of the four sections of the nave behind the choir and its aisles to the height of the stories. It began after the completion of the choir, but ended before the final allotted section of the nave was finished. Beginning in 1190, the bases of the facade were put in place, and the first traverses were completed. Hercules of Caesarea called for the Third Crusade in 1185 from the still-incomplete cathedral. The Crown of Thorns, a uh, very powerful uh, Catholic relic, which is be uh, believed to be a piece of the, or a pretty good chunk of the, of uh, the crown of thorns that was on Jesus' head during the crucifixion. So, if you're religious, Christian, uh, Catholic, then that holds some very serious. Um, it's a, it's a very powerful relic and something that is good to be seen. And thankfully, it was saved. And I'll kind of talk about that later. Um, it was placed in the cathedral in 1231 by King Louis the Ninth during the construction of the Saint Chapelle. The decision was made to add tresseps at the choir where the altar was located in order to bring more light into the center of the church. The use of simpler four-part rather than six-part rib vaults means that the roofs were stronger and could be higher. After Bishop Maurice de Sully's death in 1196, his successor, Eudes de Sully, um, oversaw the completion of the transepts and continued work on the nave, which was nearing completion at the time of his own death in 1208. By this time, the weapon facade was already largely built, though it was not completed until around the mid-1240s. Between 1225 and 1250, the upper gallery of the nave was constructed, along with the two towers on the west facade. Another significant change came in the mid-13th century when the transepts were remodeled in the latest Rayonnant style. In the late 1240s, Jean de Chelles added a gabled portal to the north transept top by a spectacular rose window. Shortly afterward, from 1258, Pierre de Montreal executed a similar scheme on the southern transept. Both these jet portals were richly embellished with sculpture. The south portal featured scenes from the lives of St. Stephen and other and of various local saints, while the north portal featured the infancy of Christ and the story of Theophilus in the Typonym, with a highly influential statue of the Virgin and the Child in the Tremo. I'm sorry, I'm probably butchering all of these words, and I apologize for that. Master Bills, Pierre de Chiles, Jean Ravi, Jean Le Boutier, and Raymond de Temple, seated de Chelles and Touch. I really should dig in French in high school. This is awful. Then each other in the construction of the cathedral. Ravi completed de Chelles' rude screen and Cheval Chapelles. 
Chevette Chapelles, then began the 15-meter flying buttresses on the choir. Jean Le Boutier, Ravi's nephew, seed him in 1334 and was himself replaced on his death in 1363 by his deputy, Raymond du Temple. Philip the Fair opened the first estates general in the cathedral in 1302. This took a very long time to build, and the main people who were building it, the main architects, were dying and passing along to their apprentices, the people that worked under them, and then they themselves aged out and passed away, and it kept passing on, because this thing took like 200 and some odd years to build, so that's kind of impressive. Um, important innovation of the 13th century was the instruction of the flying buttress. Before the buttress, all the way to the roof pressed outwards and down to the walls and the abutment supporting them. With a flying buttress, the weight was carried by the ribs of the vault entirely outside the structure to a series of counter supports which were topped with stone pinnacles which gave them greater weight. The buttress meant the walls could be higher and thinner and could have much larger windows. The date of the first buttress is not known with any great precision beyond an installation date in the 13th century. Art historian Andrew Tallon, however, has argued based on detailed laser scans of the entire structure, the buttresses were part of the original design. According to Talon, the scans indicate the upper part of the building has not moved one smidgen in 800 years, whereas if they were added later, some movement from the prior to their addition would be expected. Thalon thus concluded that flying buttresses were there from the get-go. The first buttresses were replaced by larger and stronger ones in the 14th century. These had a reach of 15 meters beyond between the walls and counter supports. Very interesting. Uh, Jean of Jandun recognized the cathedral as one of Paris's three most important buildings in the, his 1323 treatise of the Praises of Paris. The most glorious church of the most glorious Virgin Mary, Mother of God, deservedly shines out like the sun among stars, and although some speakers, by their own free judgment, because they are able to see only a few things easily, may, see, may say that some other is more beautiful, I believe, however respectfully, that if they attended more diligently to the whole and the parts, they will quickly retract this opinion. Or indeed I ask, would they find two towers of such magnificence and perfection, so high, so large, so strong, clothed round with such multiple varieties of ornaments, where I ask, would they find such a multi-part arrangement of so many lateral vaults above and below, where I ask, would they find such light-filled amenities as the many surrounding chapels. Furthermore, let them tell me in what church I may see such a large cross of which one arm separates the choir from the nave. Finally, I would willingly learn where there are two such circles situated opposite each other in a straight line with an account of their appearance are given the name of the fourth vowel O, among which smaller orbs and circles with wondrous uh, artifice so that arranged circulatory other arranged surround windows ruddy with precious colors and beautiful with the most subtle figures of the pictures. In fact, I believe that this church offers a carefully discerning such cause for admiration that its inspection can scarcely save sate the soul. On December 16th, night, that was uh, Jean de Chandon, and that's from his Treatise of the Praises of Paris. On the 16th December of 1431, the boy king Henry VI of England was crowned King of France in Notre Dame. Age 10, the traditional Croatian church of Rinskigil being under French control. During the resistance to the Gothic style, Fada style, and the internal pillars and walls of Notre Dame were covered with tapestries. Weird. In, in the decline, in 1548, rioting Huguenots damaged some of the statues of Notre Dame, considering them 
uh, adulterous. The fountain, and adulterous purpose, was added in 1625 to provide nearby Parisians with running water. Okay. King Louis the Fourteenth, on the insistence of his father, Louis the Thirteenth, decided in 1699 to make extensive modifications to Notre Dame. He asked Robert de Cotte with the renovation, or he tasked, not asked. He tasked Robert de Cotte with the renovation. Cotte replaced the rude, the rude screen with sumptuous and gilded wrought iron fence. Opened up the choir and ambulatory and removed the tombs in the nave. New furniture was produced as well as the current high altar, depicting Louis the Fourteenth and Thirteenth kneeling before a Pieta. In seventeen oh nine, Canon Antoine de la Porte commissioned for Louis the Fourteenth six paintings depicting the life of the Virgin Mary for the choir. At the same time, Charles de la Fosse painted his Adoration of the Magi now in the Louvre. Uh, Louis Antoine de Notiales. Sorry, so many. French names. Archbishop of Paris extensively modified the roof of Notre Dame in 1726, renovating its framing and removing the gargoyles with lead gutters. Notably, also strengthened buttresses, galleries, terraces, and vaults. In 1756, the cathedral's canons decided that its interior was too dark. The medieval stained glass windows, except the rosettes, were removed and replaced with plain white glass panes. Huh, that's kind of unfortunate. The cathedral was rededicated in 1793 to the cult of reason and then to the cult of su- the supreme being during this time many of the treasures of the cathedral were either destroyed or plundered the 28 statues of biblical kings located at the west facade mistaken for statues of french kings were beheaded unfortunately many of the heads were found during a 1977 excavation nearby and are on display at the musees de cluny for the time the goddess of liberty replaced the virgin mary on several altars Gugel's great bells escape being melted down all their large statues on the facade, with exception of the statue of the Virgin Mary on the portal of the cloister, were destroyed. The cathedral came to be used as a warehouse for the storage of food and other non-religious purposes. Alright, so that's something that happened. In July of 1808, the new ruler, Napoleon Bonaparte, signed an agreement to restore the cathedral to the church. Stormily transferred on April 18th of 1802. On December 2nd, 1804, Napoleon and his wife... Josephine and with Pope Pius VII officiating were crowned Emperor and Empress of France. It was also the site of Napoleon's marriage to Marie Louise of Austria in 1810. It was functioning in the early 19th century but was half ruined inside and battered throughout. In 1831, the novel Notre Dame de Paris by Victor Hugo, published in English as The Hunchback of Notre Dame, had an enormous success and brought the cathedral's new attention. In 1844, King Louis-Philippe ordered the church to be restored. The commission for the restoration was won by two architects, Jean-Baptiste Antoine Lassus and Eugène Villette-le-Duc, who was then just 31 years old, which is pretty impressive at the time. They supervised a large team of sculptors, glassmakers, and other craftsmen who remade, working from drawings or engravings, the original decoration, or if they didn't have a model, adding new elements they felt were in the spirit of the original style. They made a taller and more ornate reconstruction of the original spire, including a statue of St. Thomas that resembles Villette de Duc, as well as adding the sculpture of mythical creatures on the Gallery de Chimes. The research took 25 years. During the liberation of Paris in August of 1944, the cathedral suffered some minor damage from stray bullets. Some of the naval glass was damaged and was replaced by glass with modern abstract designs. On 26th August, a special mass was held in the cathedral to celebrate the liberation of Paris from the Germans. It was by General Charles de Gaulle and, Char- and General Philip uh, Leclerc. Uh, Le in 1903, on the initiative of culture minister André Malraux, 
and to mark the 800th anniversary of the cathedral, the facade was cleaned of the centuries of soot and grime, restoring it to its original off-white color. Artwork relics other antique, antique stored at the cathedral include the supposed crown of thorns which Jesus wore prior to his crucifixion, and a piece of the cross on which he was crucified, a 13th century organ, stained glass windows, and a bronze statue of the Twelve Apostles. Bronze statues of the Twelve Apostles, sorry. Um... During uh, modern renovation, so the stone masonry of the cathedral exterior had deteriorated in the 19th and 20th century due to increased air pollution in Paris, which accelerated erosion of decorations and discolored the stone. By the late 1980s, several gargoyles and turrets had also fallen off or become too loose to remain in place. A decade-long renovation program began in 1991 and replaced much of the exterior with care given to retain the authentic architectural elements of the cathedral, including re rigorous inspection of the new limestone blocks. A discrete system of electrical wires not visible from below was also installed on the roof to deter pigeons. The cathedral's pipe organ was upgraded with a computerized system to control the mechanical connections to the pipes. The west face was cleaned and restored in time for the Millennium Celebration in December of 1999. Medievalist Claude Javard claimed that not enough money had been spent on maintenance, saying that ongoing works finally got started and it was high time and perhaps even a little late I went up to the foot of the spire before the rush began, and some of the bricket work was disjointed, held in place by a grate to prevent it falling. Uh, the set of four 19th century bells atop the northern towers at Notre Dame were melted down and recast into new bronze bells in 2013 to celebrate the building's 850th anniversary. They were designed to recreate the sound of the cathedral's original bells from the 17th century. Despite the 1990s renovation, the cathedral had continued to show signs of deterioration that prompted the national government to propose a new renovation program in the late 2010s. The entire renovation was estimated to cost 100 million euros, which the Archbishop of Paris planned to raise through funds from the national government and private donations. A 6 million renovation of the cathedral's spire began in the late 2018 and continued into the following year, requiring a temporary removal of copper statues on the roof and other decorative elements days before the April 2019 fire. Now, which brings us to the fire. On April 15th, 2019, the cathedral caught fire, causing the collapse of the spire and the oak frame and lead roof. The extent of the damage was initially unknown, and was the cause, as was the cause of the fire, though it was speculated it was linked to ongoing renovation work. According to French authorities, the cathedral barely escaped complete destruction, having only 15 to 30 minutes away from the structural damage so severe it would have likely caused the building's collapse. Firefighters were able to save the facade, towers, walls, buttresses, and stained glass windows. The great organ was also saved but sustained water damage. Statues of the spire had been removed for cleaning and relics were rescued during the fire, but sections of the stone ceiling collapsed. First investigations indicated the structure remained essentially sound. French President Emmanuel Macron vowed that Notre Dame would be restored and called for the work to be completed within five years. Now... Knowing how long it took to build the thing originally and how long a lot of the restoration projects takes, I think five years is unrealistic despite the amount of money that's being thrown at it now. And it should be restored, definitely, but I think five years is too tight a timeline. It's going to probably take a year to make that thing structurally sound, even begin restoration work. So since 1905, France's cathedrals, including Notre Dame, had been owned by the state which is self-insured. Some costs might be recovered through insurance coverage if the fire is found to have been caused by contractors working on the site. The French insurer AXA provided insurance coverage for the two of the contracting firms working on Notre Dame's restoration for the blaze which devastated the cathedral. AXA also provided insurance coverage for some of the relics and artworks in the cathedral. 
President Emmanuel Macron said approximately 500 firefighters helped to battle the fire. One firefighter was seriously injured and two police officers were hurt during the blaze. Many artifacts were saved from before the fire spread to the other parts of the cathedral because of the ongoing renovation. The copper statues, though normally on the now-collapsed spire, had been removed from the building a week prior. The stone vault in that formed the ceiling cathedral had three holes but otherwise remained largely intact, preventing the burning timbers from falling into the building below. An international architectural competition will also be launched to redesign the roof and spire. And I've seen some pictures. I really hope they go with a the kind of an original tone and not a modern. Because I think that would just not do justice to the structure itself. So the towers and spire. So the two towers are 69 meters high. And were the tallest structure in Paris until the completion of the Eiffel Tower in 1889. The towers were the last major elephant of the cathedral to be constructed. The South Tower was built first between 1220 and 1240, and the North Tower between 1235 and 1250. The newer North Tower is slightly larger and can be seen when they are viewed from directly in front of this church. The country of buttress on the North Tower is also larger. The North Tower is accessible to visitors by a stairway whose entrance is on the north side of the tower. The stairway has 387 steps and has a stop at the Gothic Hall at the level of the Rose Window, where visitors can can look over the parvis and see a collection of paintings and sculptures from earlier periods of the cathedral's history. The ten bells of the cathedral are located in the South Tower. A lead-roofed water reservoir between the two towers behind the colonnade in the gallery and before the nave and the pigeon provide water for firefighting. Interesting. The cathedral's uh, flesh, or spire, was destroyed by the in the April 2019 fire was located over the transept and altar. The original spire was constructed in the 13th century, probably between 1220 and 1230. It was battered, weakened, and bent by the wind over five centuries, and finally was removed in 1786. During the 19th century restoration, Eugène Vaudeluc, which I've said before, decided to recreate it, making a new version of the oak covered with lead. The entire spire weighed 750 tons. Wow. Uh, following uh, Voulet Le Duc's plans, the spire was surrounded by copper statues of the Twelve Apostles, a group of three at each point of the compass. Each group was preceded by an animal symbolizing one of the four evangelists, a steer for St. Luke, a lion for St. Mark, an eagle for St. John, and an angel for St. Matthew. Just days before the fire, the statues were moved for restoration. While in place, they had faced outwards towards Paris, except one, the statue of St. Thomas, the patron saint of architects, who faced the spire and had the features of Villette le Duc. The rooster atop the spire contained three relics, a tiny piece from the crown of thorns in the cathedral and relics of Denis and St. Genevieve, patron saints of Paris. They were placed uh, there in 1935 by the archers of Jean Venner to protect the congregation from lightning and other harm. Interesting. So, the iconography, the poor people's book. So, the Gothic Cathedral was a Liber Popperbaum, a poor people's book covered with sculpture vividly illustrating biblical stories for the vast majority of parishioners who were illiterate. To add to the effect, all of the sculpture of the, on the facades was originally painted and gilded. The typhonem over the central portal of the west facade facing the square vividly illustrates the Last Judgment, with figures of sinners being led off to hell and good Christians taken to heaven. The sculpture on the right portal shows the coronation of the Virgin Mary, and the left portal shows the lives of saints who are important to Parisians, particularly Saint Anne, the mother of the Virgin Mary. 
The exteriors of the cathedrals and other Gothic churches were also decorated with sculptures, a variety of fabulous and frightening grotesques or monsters. These include the gargoyle, the chimera, a mythical hybrid creature which usually has the body of a lion and the head of a goat, and the strix, or string, a creature resembling an owl or bat, which was said to eat human flesh. The strix appeared in classical Roman literature described by the Roman poet Ovid, who was widely read in the Middle Ages as a large-headed bird with transfixed eyes, rapacious beak, and grayish-white wings. They were part of the visual messages for the illiterate worshippers, symbols of the evil and danger that threatened those who not follow the teachings of the church. The gargoyles, which were added in around 1240, had more practical purpose. They were the rain spots of the cathedral, designed to divide the torrent of water which poured from the roof after rain, and protected outward as far as possible from the buttresses and the walls and windows where it might erode the mortar binding the stone, to produce many thin streams rather than a torrent of water. A large number of gargoyles were used so they were also designed to be decorative elements of the architecture. The rainwater ran away from the roof into lead gutters, then down channels onto the flank buttresses, then along a channel cut in the back of the gargoyle and out the mouth away from the cathedral. Amid all the religious figures, some of the sculpture decorations was devoted to illustrating medieval science and philosophy. The central portal on the west facade is decorated with carved figures holding circular plaques with symbols of transformation Taken from alchemy, the central pillar on the central door to the Notre Dame features a statue of a woman on a throne holding a scepter in her left hand, and in her right hand two books, one open, symbol of public knowledge, and another closed, esoteric knowledge, along with a ladder with seven steps symbolizing the seven steps alchemists followed in their scientific quest to transform ordinary metals into gold. Many of the statues were either grotesque removed from the sod in the 17th and 18th century, or were destroyed during the French Revolution. They were replaced with figures in the Gothic style designed by Jean Vallette de Luc during the 19th century restoration. The stained glass windows of Notre Dame, particularly the three rose windows, are among the most famous features of the cathedral. The west rose window over the portals was the first and smallest of the roses in Notre Dame and is 9.6 meters in diameter and was made, about, uh, was made in about 1225 with pieces of glass set in a thick circular stone frame. None of the original glass remains in the window is recreated in the 19th century. The two transept windows are larger and contain a greater portion of the glass than the rows of the west facade. Because the new system of borches made the nave walls thinner and stronger, the north rose was created in about 1250 and the south rose in about 1260. The south rose in the transept is particularly notable for its size and artistry. It is 12.9 meters in diameter with a clear vault surrounding it a total of 19 meters. It was given to the cathedral by King Louis the Ninth uh, of France, known as Saint Louis. The South Rose has ninety-four medallions arranged in four circles, depicting scenes from the life of Christ and those who witnessed his time on Earth. The inner circle has twelve medallions showing the twelve apostles. During later restoration, some of these original medallions were moved to circles farther out. The next two circles depicted celebrating martyrs and virgins. The fourth circle shows twenty angels as well as saints important to Paris notably St. Denis, Margaret the Virgin, with a dragon, and St. Eustace. The third four circles have also some depictions of Old Testament subjects. The third circle has some medallions from the scenes from the New Testament Gospel of Matthew, which date from the last cent quarter of the 12th century. They were the oldest glass in the window. Additional scenes in the corners around the rose windows include Jesus' descent to hell, Adam and Eve, and the resurrection of Christ. St. Peter and St. Paul are at the bottom of the windows, and Mary Magdalene and John the Apostle at the top. Above the rose was a window depicting Christopher, uh, sorry, depicting Christ triumphant seated in the sky, surrounded by his apostles. Below are 16 windows with 
painted images of prophets. They were not part of the original window. They were painted during the Restoration in the 19th century by Alfred uh, Drenthe under the direction of Eugène Vallette de Luc, based on the similar window at uh, Chartres Cathedral. The South Rose had a difficult history. In 1543, it was damaged by the settling of the masonry walls and not restored until 1725 to 1727. It was seriously damaged in the French Revolution 1830. Rioters burned the residences of the archbishops next to the cathedral, and many of the panes were destroyed. The windows were was entirely rebuilt by Vallette de Luc in 1861. He rotated the window by 15 degrees to give it a clear vertical and horizontal axis and replaced the destroyed piece of glass with new glass in the same style. The window today contains both medieval and 19th century glass. In 1960s, after three decades of debate, it was decided to replace many of the 19th century uh, Grisselle windows in the nave designed by Vallette de Luc with new windows. The new windows made by Jacques Le Chauvet are without human figures and use abstract Grisselle design and color to recreate the luminosity of the cathedral's interior in the 13th century. The 2019 fire left the three great medieval rose windows essentially intact, but some damage. The rector of the cathedral noted that one rose window would have have to be dismantled as it was unstable and at risk. Most of their damaged windows were at much less historical value. So now we come to the crypt. An archaeological crypt um, was created in 1965 to protect a range of historical ruins discovered during construction work and spanning from the early settlement in Paris to the modern day. The crypt is managed by the Musée Carnavat and contains a large exhibit detailing models of the architecture of different time periods and how they can be viewed within the ruins. The main feature is still visible in the underfloor heating installed during the Roman occupation. Very cool. Now we come to the organ. So, one of the earliest organs at Notre Dame built in 1403 by Frederick Chambats was replaced between 1730 and 1738 by Francois Thierry during the restoration of the cathedral by... I'm going to stop saying his name... Uh, uh, Artisan Carval Cole built a new organ using pipes from the former instruments. The organ was dedicated in 1868. In 1904, Charles Mouton modified and added several stops. In 1924, an electric blower was installed, and extensive restoration and cleaning was carried out by Joseph Bouchette in 1932. Between 59 and 63, the mechanical action with Barker levers was replaced with an electric action by Jean Herman, and the new organ console was installed. I'm sure Sarah um, of the Drain to Connors Network knows a lot about this. I don't really know. During the following years, the stop list was gradually modified by Robert Bousseau, who added three champagne stops, eight foot, four feet, and... I don't think there's actually feet. Um, and two by 16 in 1968. And Jean-Luc Bousseau, after nights of respectfully, in autumn 8, 1903, the electric combination system was disconnected due to a short circuit risk. Between 1990 and 1992, Jean-Luc Bousseau, so many people, uh, and Susat Snipital revised and augmented the instrument throughout. A new console was installed during using the stop knobs, pedals, and manual keyboards, foot pistons, and balance pedals from the Jean Herman console between 2012 and 2014. Bertrand Castot and Pascal Quint restored, cleaned, and modified the organ. The stops and key action was upgraded. A new console was built. Again, using the stop keys, pedal boards, foot pistons, the balance pedals, and the 1992 console, a new enclosed division. Uh, Residents expressed of using pipeworks from the former Petit Pedal Bessau, who can now be used as a floating division. The organ case and facade pipes were stored, and a general tuning was carried out. The current organized 115 stops, 156 ranks, on five manuals and a pedal, and more than 8,000 pipes. Wow. 
Yeah, there's a lot more info here than I was expecting. I think we're just about done, though. So, uh, one of the last things is on the bells. So, the cathedral has ten bells. The burden called Emmanuel, which is tuned to F-sharp, has been accompaniment to some of the major events in the history of France ever since it was first cast, such as for the the Tidum, for the coronation of French kings, along with world events like the visit of the Pope, and others to mark the end of conflicts, including World War One and World War Two. It also rings in times of sorrow and drama to unite believers at the Notre Dame Cathedral, like for the funerals of the French heads of states, tragedies such as the terrorist attacks on September 11, 2001. It is revered, uh, reserved for the cathedral special occasions like Christmas, Easter, and Ascension. This particular bell was the masterpiece of the whole group of bells that weighs in at 13 ton. Unfortunately, it was saved from the devastation that arose during the French Revolution, according to the bell ringers and musicians. It's still one of the most beautiful sound vessels and one of the most remarkable in Europe. The bell dates from the 15th century and was recast in 1681 upon the request of King Louis XIV, who named it Emmanuel Bell. There are also four bells that were placed, those destroyed in the French Revolution, placed at the top of the North Tower in 1856. These ring daily for basic services, uh, the Angelus and the Shiming of the Hours. The first of these bells, named Angelique Francois, weighs in at 1,915 kilograms and is tuned to C-sharp. The next bell is named Antoinette Charlotte, weighing it at 1,335 kilograms and tuned to D-sharp. Then there is the bell named Jacinthe Jeanne, weighing in at 925 kilograms, tuned to F. And the fourth bell named Denise David weighs in 767 kilograms and just like the grand bell Emmanuel is also tuned to F-sharp. Years later in 1867, a Carolyn of three bells in the spire with two chimes that link to the monumental clock were put in place. And the three bells were positioned in the actual structure of the Notre Dame Cathedral itself so they could be heard inside. However, unfortunately, these are at present mute, although a project is currently being looked at and hopefully will be put into place in order to restore the Carillion to its former glory. The four bells were that put in place in 1856, now stored as of February 2012. About a year later, a new set of Eight bells in the, for the Tower of Notre Dame Cathedral was being produced along with the Grand Bell for the South Tower, just as originally before most were destroyed during the French Revolution. The production of bells was of accuracy and precision to obtain the desired sounds, and the work has been entrusted to two separate companies, one in France to the eight bells and one in Belgium for the Grand Bell. Each of the new bells is named with names that have been chosen to pay tribute to saints and others who have shaped the life of Paris and the Notre Dame Cathedral. Emmanuel is accompanied by larger, by another large bell in the south tower called Marie. At six tons and playing a G sharp, Marie is the second largest bell in the cathedral. Marie is also called a little Bourdon, a petite Bourdon, or a drone bell because it is located alongside Emmanuel in the south tower. Built in a foundry in the Netherlands and engraved as a very distinctive feature, something which is different compared to the other bells, the phrase... Je vous salve Marie in French and via, via Torres Crat in Latin, which means Hail Mary, where the bell gets its name for the Virgin Mary, and the way is looking for travelers. Below the phrase appears an image of the baby Jesus and his parents surrounded by the stars and the relief with the adoration of the Magi. It is in charge of the small Solennel, which is similar to the great Solennel, except you guys probably don't want to hear all this. It's basically just um, talking about the bells, what they do how they're described. I think that's fair enough. Like I said in the beginning, the ownership did switch um, to the church at a later date. Um, kind of gives the history of that. This gallery of images. I encourage you to check out the Wikipedia article because there's 
much more than me just describing the cathedral of what it actually looks like. So, like I said, there are there were relics stored inside, and there was talk that all these were lost as the fire was happening. But fortunately, all, if not most, were saved. So, you probably want to know how they were saved. There was a massive fire, it was at the roof. How can you get things from underneath? So, Jean-Marc Funier didn't have much time. As flames ripped through Notre Dame Cathedral's medieval roof on last Monday, even the Paris Fire Brigade trapped on a single mission to rescue two of its most sacred relics. The problem is that the crown of thorns, revered as having been worn by Jesus Christ during his crucifixion, and the tabernacle containing the Eucharist, or Holy Sacrament, were locked inside a safe in the church's treasury that no one knew how to open. We couldn't get the codes, we couldn't get hold of the people who had them, for it said Wednesday. Finally, as the flames high above crept close to the Notre Dame's famous spire, church officer appeared with the crypt key and the chaplain and firefighters rushed in. Inside, red-hot embers and debris drifted down from the vast-ribbed vault ceilings. Uh, Fournier watched as a team of firefighters broke open the safe and extracted the crown, made of rushes bound by gold thread. It has been encased in a crystal tube since 1896. The chaplain joined a human chain of firefighters, emergency workers, and antiquities experts to pass the crown and other irreplaceable treasures out of the burning church and into safety. These efforts in those first years would save hundreds of years of art, history, and heritage that Fonier said belongs to humanity and the world at large. As luck would have it, several people with deep knowledge of the contents of the church were already on site when Monday's fire broke out. Notre Dame was undergoing planned restoration, and Diddler Durand was working on replacing the cathedral's flying buttresses when the first alarm went off. As the flames ate their way through the cathedral's roof, Durand tolls through the night with other specialists to excavate artifacts and statues. The Trinovists, who packed all of these artworks, presented to them making an inventory. Durand, the chairman of Stoneworks Company, Pierre Noel, told CNN. Uh, Marie Helen Diddler, a conservator who has been overseeing the restoration, was also there noting... Nodding, noting down a precise amount of all the work before packing them into trucks to preserve them as much as possible. Among the items salvaged was the tunic of St. Louis, believed to have been worn by King Louis the Fifteenth in the 13th century, and ornaments from the altar used for the coronation of Napoleon in 1804, among many other valuable artworks, invaluable artworks and relics. The tree of woe's windows that date back to the 13th century and the original great organ, one of the world's most famous musical instruments, also survived. The significance of the religious objects recovered from the fire cannot be overstated, said Celine Coulangian, a professor of art history at Catholic University of Paris. The relics are some of the only remainings from the Passion of Christ. Uh, Clinton told CNN, adding that they were purchased by Louis XV for a cost equivalent to half of the state's annual budget. During his reign, there was a cult of the relic, and the artifacts were seen as a way to get closer to God. In the immediate aftermath of the blaze, some of the most precious works of art and treasure from Notre Dame were held under security at Paris City Hall, according to uh, Elise Palace. Oh, sorry, according to the Elise Palace. Sorry. By Thursday, the Ministry of Culture had repartied the artwork to the Louvre Museum, which was received more pieces and paintings in the coming days. Culture Minister Frank... Frank? Reister said the risk of collapse prevented the removal of some of the cathedral's paintings but that if the all-clear was given, they would be taken down on Friday. I don't have updated information on that. While the evacuation of Trump was a great success, the full extent of the water and smoke damage to the church and to what was inside may not be known for some time. The paintings still inside contain dust, they have had smoke, and they are in the humidity, so we have to remove them quickly, Reister said Thursday. So you know, it's kind of the Louvre about the condition of the art it received, but the museum has refused to comment.
On Tuesday, Diddler was working alongside other restorers when Notre Dame's precious rooster, which contains three holy relics that was perched atop the cathedral's 19th century spiral before it collapsed, was discovered intact among the debris. We're going to operate on the rooster to check that the relic is still inside, and we will restore it because it is an emblem, an emblem of France. Yeah, I'm really confused why a copper Gallic rooster that topped the Notre Dame spire is the unofficial symbol of France, but also that it holds um, three relics, including 70 thorns from the uh, the crown of thorns. Also very interesting. So, 16, um, 16 copper statues representing the 12 apostles and four evangelists were sparred from the blaze entirely. The monuments had descended like eerie angels by crane from the cathedral last week so that refurbishments could be made into this to be made to the since destroyed spire uh Sokra, one of the companies involved in the refurbishment confirmed this you know the statues were in one of their workshops at the time of the blaze so that's very good uh reflecting on the efforts to restore nochdam and its statues the Sokra technician told the new yorker it wanted to give her a second youth we have perhaps destroyed her Many months and possibly hundreds of millions of dollars worth of repurbishment now await. The week disaster, President Manuel Constitution that a unique opportunity presented itself to train a whole new generation of French craftspeople and to hold a competition that might inspire contemporary take on one of Paris's most beloved and oldest landmarks. I definitely disagree on contemporary take. Throughout our history, we have built towns, ports, churches. Many have been burnt and restored by war, revolution, mankind's mistakes. Each time we have rebuilt them, Macron said in address to the nation on Tuesday. The fire to Ochran reminds us that our story never ends, that we will always have challenges to overcome. What we believe to be indestructible can always be touched. So that's very cool. So, like I said, the like it said in that past article, the organ was saved, but it actually might never be the same again. So, all Olivier Latry, one of the chief organists of the at the Notre Dame Cathedral was the last artist to record on the famous instruments before the catastrophic fire on April 15th. The pipe organ is the largest in France and dates back centuries. Though it was spared from the flames, it would still require extensive renovation. Latre had been a chief organist at Notre Dame since 1985, and he played the organ to record his album Bach to the Future over the course of several late nights this past January when the church was free of tourists and worshippers. On the day of the fire, Lottery recalls getting SMS messages from friends that Notre Dame was burning and not believing it. For Lottery, the shock was not believe set in. We were just horrified, absolutely horrified, he says. This is the most, probably the most famous organ in the world. The current instrument was built by, um, I already said his name, during the 19th century, and some pipes from previous organs date back centuries. Lottery says the organ pipes themselves, some 8,000 of them, were not severely damaged. The main issue may be fixing the water damage to the organ's wind chest from when firefighters put out the blaze. It's a box where it provides air on the pipes, so we have to check all of those things, and of course the electric system. The organ has an electric system which was installed in the last restoration, and as of yet, electricity and water don't, doesn't work together, obviously. The staff members of the Notre Dame are still figuring out how they will make these repairs. They must take the part, the organ, those that's normally done by hoisting up on a pulley attached to the roof, which is now gone. So... That'll probably be a part of a future restoration. There's probably going to be updates on that. So hopefully it's able to be restored. It is a, a famous instrument and deserves to be salvaged. So I think you're probably wondering, why is this really news? It's, I'm not religious. I'm not Catholic. 
it's just a church that burnt down. Churches sometimes burn all the time. There were three that happened in in the southern United States that why are those not getting any attention as opposed to this? So why why is this so special? I think it's probably what you're asking. So I know how I was feeling. I didn't know what was happening. I happened to be checking my news at work in the afternoon on that day and saw the executive on fire and kind of immersed myself in this before that, I'd really given two cents to the cathedral. The last time I actually did it, I was actually playing uh, Assassin's Creed Unity and climbed it, but which actually will come back up later, which was kind of fun. So, this is um, someone's opinion article about uh, why are we so moved by the Notre Dame fire. So, though there were fortunately no deaths, the fire was a startling, most almost existential kind of loss. So you're not to be believing God to understand that Notre Dame is a holy place. Its exceptional composition of stone, glass, oak, and lead was assembled by human hands from 1163 to 1345, culminating in a feat of French Gothic architecture, a work now so monumental it resonates as nearly mythological. A relic allegedly containing Christ's crown has resided at Notre Dame for ages, brought to Paris by Louis the Fifteenth via oh, Louis the Ninth, sorry via Constantinople in the 13th century. Construction had already been underway by then on the cathedral. Modern implementations like flying buttresses altering its ascent. The external stonework supporting the weight of the ceiling allowed, allowing for the walls to extend higher, leaving room for countless windows and the spilling forth of euphoric light. Pointed arches, rib vaults, piped masonry of in- ingenious designs together create a sense of verticality to render the sublime. Like many people, I saw the fire on my phone screen in real time. Flames ripped through the 856-year-old medieval wooden roof known as the Forest, quickly desecrating one of the most iconic structures in the world. Photos soon flooded my timeline from the Obamas to high school acquaintances, decade-old snapshots, friend's mother smiling beside a stone gargoyle, young Sasha Malia lighting votives in the nave, the cathedral spire at night extending heavenward from a miraculous illuminated body, the whole form, some divine lantern that had been sent from the Sien, all but remembrances now as angry plumes of smoke billowed from Notre Dame's torch silhouette. Some viewed those shared vacation photos as optimistic plays at grandstanding. Others considered that process a way, perhaps, to concretize their grief. Unlike the recent horrific bombings through Sri Lanka's churches, there were no casualties, and yet the fire seemed to prompt global collective mourning. For loss of the startling existential sort, Notre Dame de Paris took 182 years to erect. Generations of families had come and gone without ever seeing it com- seeing its completion. Situated in the heart of Paris, Notre Dame serves as a geographical beacon, a symbol of the city and also of its people's endurance. Having survived two world wars, the French Revolution, and the Hundred Years' War, an estimated 13 million visitors to Notre Dame every year, making this ruin tangible to so many near and far. But why did anyone feel connecting? connected to its destruction so intimately. I couldn't peel my eyes away from that 90-meter spire as it seethed in the heat, going brittle before cleaving in two. The sight made my stomach turn. It was like we were watching something happening to a beloved friend, said one Chicagoan to the Tribune. I did not share the sentiment at all. We were witnessing something far more humbling. The sacristan and singular decimate, decimated in an instant. The puncturing of communal naivette as if what we hold sacred could last forever. Very powerful. Um, it kind of goes into kind of her story about her first trip there. 
which I don't really feel the need to go into too deeply. Uh, I think she had something else at the end I kind of wanted to read. Um, the extent of what had been lost is abstruse. Notre Dame is a space where Napoleon had been coronated that with its rose windows, portals, transepts, or the 18th century 8,000 great pipe organ commands you whether or not you answered to believe. I did not answer, but I could stand in that holy place, skimming on the edge of familiar fairway joy. Of its structure, all but the spire and the roof have been salvaged. Optimists remind us that the cathedral has been damaged before and restored. It was rebuilt again. President Macron hopes to revive the cathedral within five years. Others estimate the undertaking will at minimum require a decade or two. It is likely some will not live to see its completion, a fact worthy alone of memorial. However, that might be parsed. The most sacred idea we may have all shared was that somehow the cathedral had not been bound by time. To witness its destruction reminds us of a personal reckoning. How holy places can urge us to access some buried sense of wonderment, to stand in awe of an exquisite thing made to seem eternal. That's pretty powerful. Um, and that was from Jennifer Hope Choi. Um, uh, she's a writer. This is a BuzzFeed News article. Um, she has a pretty illustrious writing career, it seems like, and she's very evocative with her words, so... Definitely nice that the article was published out there, and I was, it was nice to read that. So, um, next one I'll have up is kind of in the same vein, uh, Notre Dame, the World's Church. Um, this is another article. This is from David uh, Turicamo. Um, it says... I've lived in Paris on and off for over the past 20 years, and I don't want to see images of Notre Dame in ruins anymore. No more charred beams and broken glass, because I remember it from a story I did a while back. It had withstood a war, a revolution, and neglect, as well as the impact of 30,000, 40,000 tourists every day, a handful of whom would climb to the nearly 400 stairs of its towers. It's spectacular. But Notre Dame is so much more than stone. This, above all, a living church with staff and volunteers, there are organists, florists, sacristans, the choir, and the devoted congregation who give it meaning. Michael Perry, a priest from Brooklyn who used to volunteer at the cathedral every summer, said, We don't know how many people get it. Something happens when they come into the church and they realize it. They walk in as tourists, they walk out as pilgrims. Looking up the soaring arches in the ceiling, 115 feet above is humbling. Yet it, it isn't even the highest cathedral in the world. Those are one of the most important because before Notre Dame, churches were squat and nearly windowless. Before Notre Dame, it is impossible to build anything that high. Stone walls alone could not support the weight of that roof. The solution is towers called flying buttresses, dis uh, dispersing the weight. It is not only allowed walls to go higher, but to open up the walls for the great windows. That would forever change the way churches could be built and is ushered in the Gothic style. And yet, despite all that, by the 19th century, Notre Dame had fallen into disrepair. Incredibly... There's a movement to tear it down, until an architect named Eugène-Emmanuel Villette Le Duc stepped in and saved it. I'm pretty sure I've said that name probably 20 different ways by now. He enlists the help of writer friend named Victor Hugo. And this is where the character of Quasimodo enters the story. Most people know the tortured humpback, hunchback as merely the bell ringer, but the story was pivotal because of Hugo's novel, The Hunchback of Notre Dame. The narrative paused at the 14th chapter to describe the cathedral's beauty, and those 10 pages saved the church, said Perry. Thank God they did. The church has been long one of French's proudest achievements. Though Father Michael Perry keeps it all in perspective, I had 
an experiment a long time ago when the woman showed up at the front door of the church with her cousin Camille. And Camille said, come on, let's go in. And the cousin says, ah, you've seen one, you've seen them all. Well, Camille's cousin, the world disagrees. A billion dollars in donations for its restoration have already poured in. It is the world's church. I'm going to save this for the end. Sorry, I want to, well, almost the end. So, like that last article said, um, a billion dollars have been raised for the church, and that probably is true. The only article I found said it's about $700 million, but still about a billion dollars in a week, which is very impressive. So, France's three richest families lead $700 million fundraising effort for Notre Dame. France's three wealthiest families are coming to the rescue of a national icon spearheading a fundraising drive to rebuild Notre Dame that has topped $700 million. The billionaires behind that luxury giants, the LVMH Corp, uh, Caring and L'Oreal on Tuesday pledged a combined $500 million, uh, $565 million in U.S. dollars after a massive fire ripped through the Paris Cathedral. LVMH and its CEO, Bernard Arnault, have promised $200 million, those have been matched by the Bentoncourt Myers family, who controls L'Oreal, the makeup people. The Bonat family, which operates uh, luxury conglomerate Caring, has pledged $100 million. The three fashion agencies have invoked patriotism and shared cultural identity in explaining their generosity following the devastation, devastating fire. Other French companies also written big checks to the oil and gas company Total, which promised $100 million, while tech and consulting firm Capgemini, which will give $1 million. Combined with other donations from Companies including French Bank Credit Agricole, the total amount pledged by businesses and wealthy donors has reached $700 million. Uh, LVMH, which owns Louis Vuitton, Christian Dior, and Givenchy, said in a statement that its donation showed solidarity with this national tragedy and the funds would be used to rebuild the extraordinary cathedral. The Fashion House went on to describe Notre Dame as a symbol of French heritage and unity. LVMH said it would make its creative and financial teams available to help with rebuilding and soliciting donations. Anault, its CEO, the third richest person in the world, according to the Bloomberg Billionaires Index, his net worth comes in at $90.4 billion, more than that of uh, Warren Buffett or Mark Zuckerberg. In addition to its famous lines, LVMH controls high-end alcohol brands such as Dom Pagnon, Hennessy, and Vouv Cliquot, as well as popular beauty retailer Sephora. Huh. Caring, which is the home of brands including Gucci and uh, Vest Saint Laurent, was first out the gate... Tuesday with its donation. The tragedy is striking all French people, and beyond that, all those attached to its spiritual values. Uh, the CEO of Caring said in a statement, Faced with a tragedy, I wish to give life back to the jewel of our heritage as soon as possible, added Penault, who is the son of the billionaire businessman, Francois Penault. The Bell family is worth an estimated $37.3 billion per Bloomberg. Restaurant Henry Penault, who manages his family's business, is married to actor Salma Hayek, Caring also owns fashion brands such as Alexander McQueen and Balenciaga. The Bettencourt family owns 33% stake in L'Oreal, which controls brands like Maybelline, Lacombe, Garnier, and Kiehl's. Francoise Bennett Myers, the richest woman in the world, is worth $53.5 billion. She inherited the stake from her mother, who died in 2017. Um, the rebuilding process. So the blaze at Notre Dame devastated large parts of the 850-year-old church, including its iconic spire. The fire was extinguished after nine hours. French President Emmanuel Macron has promised to build the site according Monday that France will launch an international fundraising campaign to assist with the effort. The process will be expensive and lengthy, and it could take time to begin in earnest. Immediate steps will be taken to prevent further damage, since the structure is not particularly vulnerable to water damage. It's tough to estimate the total time and cost of the restoration. The Venice Opera House, which was gutted by a blaze in 1996, reportedly reopened eight years later after $60 million was spent. 
Windsor Castle, one of Bristol's royal residences, was fairly damaged by a fire in 1992. It opened nearly five years later at a cost of $36.5 million. So, we'll kind of have to see what happens there. There's a lot of money. I know I've seen people post on Facebook about how some people are donating towards this, but yet still, um, like, Flint, Michigan's without water. We have the fires burning in the south at those churches. Um, people still starving on the streets and all that. And yes, that is true. But I don't think we should penalize someone for donating for a structure. Because you can do what you want with your own money. You don't have to give it to the person with the most need. Whatever benefits you to donate to something, I think, is your right. It's not like they're just... It's not like it was give like it was a vote who gets the money and the vote went to the cathedral. They chose to do it to that. So I get what you're saying, but they can do with it what they want. The same reason why I understand why or cities give tax subsidies to build these giant uh, football stadiums, yet they can't give that money or those tax breaks or help out the less fortunate in their cities as well. So it is what it is. So, this is an article, this is actually probably the first article, I've kind of saved this in my back pocket to talk about at a later time, and this is actually one of the first articles I read after the fire. It's from Vox, it says, The notion of fire is the roofer's worst fear come to life. I like how it's easy for the small mistake of any construction site to cause a massive disaster. My social media feeds have been overwhelmed by my friends and colleagues mourning the burning of Notre Dame Cathedral these past two days. As a scholar of medieval studies, I get it. The building had a special resonance for lovers of history, architecture, and art. But I read that the fire was mostly caused by restoration workers. My heart broke for them. These roofers and restoration experts do the tireless work of keeping these buildings functional for all of us. They do it at great personal risk and with little recognition. My father's a roofer. My brother spent 30 years roofing while I did it for several summers. I know how easy it is for a small mistake on any construction site to cause a massive disaster. I'm sure there are a dozen workers associated with Notre Dame who are thinking and rethinking every single action they took Monday, trying to figure out if they are in any way responsible. My heart is shattered for them. They may have never known for certain, and they may never forgive themselves thinking it's their fault. I've been in their boots. One summer, while I was roofing, I was ripping cedar shakes off a fancy house. This is essentially nasty, hot, itchy work. It's also extremely flammable. Most of us smoked. One of my dad's guys who I was working with pulled me over to a spot where a cigarette butt was smoldering and told me that we were probably ten minutes away from an entire million-dollar home burning to the ground. He held it up and showed me the brand. That's yours. Be more careful. This is just one of thousands of little opportunities to make mistakes on a construction site. 99.9% of the time, none of us screw up, but when it does, it can be disastrous. To this day, despite all of the many regulations, controls, and safety measures, building construction is among the deadliest jobs that exist. Roofing in particular ranks just behind logging, fishing, and aircraft operations, the most deadly job in the U.S., Iron and steel workers, the builders of the buildings, are just another step down. This kind of work is dangerous, physically excruciating, essential. It's also largely invisible. Construction workers are rarely seen as heroes, and death or injury on the job are not mourned outside their families. In fact, many of us think of construction workers as a nuisance, especially at places like Notre Dame. Scaffolding messes up our pictures, or work site prevent us from accessing parts of historical structures we had hoped to see. Nobody thanks construction workers for their endless labor, yet without them, we would not have these buildings at all. When news broke Tuesday that the damage to the interior of Notre Dame was far less severe than I had feared, we were quick and right to praise the medieval craftspeople who built this phenomenal structure. 
but it's not the 13th century masons who deserve our respect today. Notre-Dame and all monuments of its uh, ilk are what they are today because of the continual maintenance and care of thousands of builders, workers, carpenters, roofers, glazers, artists, masons, and wrights who keep our buildings alive, but none of these show up in front-page photos the way the firefighters do. But when the very worst happens, workers like that are going to return to the most dangerous work to preserve our buildings. I wish I could thank every single one of them this week. And like I said um, kind of earlier there about Assassin's Creed Unity, like I said, it's the uh, game set in France and they brilliantly restored... Not restored, they brilliantly recreated uh, the Cathedral of Notre Dame in the video game to amazing detail. And they should be praised. They actually also donated money towards the uh, restoration. So, gamers have been getting nostalgic for that Street Unity after it was given away for free. Set in the French Revolution, the game features an accurate recreation of Notre Dame Cathedral. Ubisoft offered the game as a free download after the church was damaged by a huge fire. The 2014 title got mixed reviews in the past, but fans seem to be loving it and have been leaving very positive reports. The French developer donated 500000 to help with restoration efforts. Hundreds of positive reviews have been left over the past four days. To put it in the context, normally the game receives around 10 reviews a day. One user said it, that it was one of the most beautiful games ever, and another said it was great that they had an opportunity to appreciate what Notre Dame used to be. Fans have also taken on to social media to share their experience of the old game. The game features Notre Dame as the centerpiece of the city, and fans have been enjoying seeing the famous site as it was before the fire. Some people have been speculating that the game may be used to rebuild the building. But the developers have quickly checked the idea. We are not currently involved in the reconstruction, but we, of course, we're very happy to lend our expertise in any way we can. The game's not suddenly becoming a classic, and many reviews will still stick by what they wrote when it was released. However, there are generally positive receptions to the move. The game away lasts until midnight, April 25th, so if you like the game, you can download it through the Uplay or online. And yeah, I have it actually when I bought my Xbox One years back it was pre-downloaded or I had a download with it because it was like the Unity edition of it so pretty cool I think the the cathedral is actually on the cover of the box I, I've since thrown out the box but I believe that's what it was and I think it's getting a little long in here so I think I'm going to not talk about a couple of these things but um, here's something that I think is worth discussing here and that involves um, five lessons from fact checking the Notre Dame fire this is from Pointer um, what we learned from, so by now most people who operate in the world of misinformation are well aware of the conspiracy theories associated with the fire at Paris's Cathedral in Notre Dame this week. Those this came swiftly and unabashedly assertions that fire was deadly started that there were chants of Alu Akbar outside the church and that a yellow vest protester could be seen in a tower during the fire. The good news is that the fact checkers and reporters who cover online misinformation were all over this story. Fact Check EU worked to debunk a number of falsehoods, as did Facebook News in the United States. The Verge's case noted the speed with which the misinformation spread, but said none of it truly went viral. Other coverage came from NBC, The Washington Post, Politico, Morning, Tech, and CNN. Pointer owned PolitiFact, and other fact checkers did a solid job explaining how the lone man in the tower was really a firefighter. PolitiFact also flagged a doctor photo on Facebook of Muslims laughing in front of Notre Dame. We do question ever the use of the pants on fire rating in both cases given the event at hand. These kinds of hoaxes spread almost after every big breaking news story. So what were the lessons learned this time? First, Twitter continues to be ground zero for misinformation, how the company is doing very little to try and stop it. 
Do you know a report on how, while fact-checkers were able to outscale several of the Notre Dame hoaxes on Facebook, with which many fact-checkers partnered to reduce the spread of falsehoods, Twitter fakes dominated the conversation, and that's unlikely to change unless the company tackles misinformation more aggressively. Speaking of Twitter, it failed to enforce its own policies about imposter accounts in time to stop the spread of false claims. A fixing an account claimed that it had confirmed the fire was an act of terrorism. That's bogus, as is another claim from a fake Fox News account about U.S. Rep. Um, Zan Omar, but it still took Twitter a while to take both accounts down. Second, misinformers uh, don't need to create a complete fabrication to go viral online. It's owned by several fact-checkers covering the Notre Dame fire. Google News articles were posted out of context to try and spread false Islamophobic narratives about the event. In one example, Twitter users shared a real 2016 story from El Mundo about four people being detained near Notre Dame as if it happened this week. Third, the Notre Dame fire illustrated how misinformation doesn't operate in a vacuum. Adoption jumps between platforms and languages becoming more mainstream in the process. BuzzFeed did a great job of outlining this in a timeline of the misinformation in which reporters how hoaxes about the origin of the fire eventually made their way into talking points on mainstream American news shows. Fourth, platform symptoms aimed at contextualizing conspiracies with truthful content can backfire. Like the New York Times, many outlets covered the fact that a YouTube algorithm mistakenly displayed information about September 11, 2001 terrorist attacks alongside live streams of the fire. Another ample reporting on the bug, YouTube removed the recommendations, but Neiman's uh, lab, Joshua Benton, asked a very good question. Could those information boxes under YouTube conspiracy videos add legitimacy instead of reduce it? Finally, here was a case where misinformation could be quickly debunked because authorities were quick to suggest the fire was likely accidental and possibly due to a refurbishment project in the cathedral. The Paris public prosecutor, Remy Hetz, said nothing indicates the fire was started on purpose, but it's a double-edged sword. In the absence of an official cause of the fire, conspiracy theories fill in the gaps. Authorities have said they expect a long, detailed investigation to find out what really happened, which means conspiracy theories will probably continue to spread online. With the sheer amount of early and aggressive debunking, they may have been at least somewhat contained. Uh, so, fact-checking and technology. During elections, um, yeah, I think it's now just going into general things not really outside the article. But yeah, definitely, when you're looking at this kind of stuff, don't just share it blindly. That's how we end up with the spread of misinformation. So, fake news comes to exist. So, definitely... Do your research. If something seems a little fishy, don't just share it because, oh, that's, I've had to comment on articles debunking them because I've done my research and I've been like, oh, that's weird. Sometimes I'll believe it for a second. I'm like, let me look that up. And then you kind of go through and you fall down the rabbit hole and you're like, oh yeah, this is wrong. This has been shared. And then you fix it, but it's still out there and people just like and move on with their day. So definitely give it that. So that is my very extensive coverage of Notre Dame and the Notre Dame fire at the cathedral. I want to thank you all for listening. I promise next week won't be as long. I hope not. But it is going to be about the Mueller report and the release of that. So it might come in an hour and a half or so. Who knows? But thank you, Van, for listening. You guys have a great week. I'll be back next week with more Great Poor 360. And you can listen to the credits at the end of the show. So thank you, guys. You've been listening to Poor 360. You can find us on the socials at Poor 360 on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us and all the other podcasts on our network at journeyintocomics.com or early access at patreon.com slash journeyintocomics. You can find us on all podcasting platforms like CastBox, Podbean, Stitcher Radio, Spotify, and many others.